Here we are in the life of David. David's failed miserably. He has sexually molested Bathsheba. Uh, she's become pregnant. I, I think for a long time when I read this story, I, I, I read it in a distorted way, and I saw Bathsheba as a willing participant. And I, I don't believe that's correct. I believe that Bathsheba had, first of all, she had, if when David called for her uh, as the king, he had absolute power and authority. When David called for her, he, she had no choice but to go. This was not, this was not a, a willing. She was not a, enticing him on the roof, I don't believe. I believe David took advantage of a young woman when he had a house, when he literally had a house full of women. It was not about sex, sexuality. Uh, it was about power. He sexually molested Bathsheba. She became pregnant. Uh, so he sent Uriah, her husband, who was one of his mighty men, one of his, one of his valiant men who had protected him, protected his life for years while he was running from, running from Saul. Uh, when he wouldn't go in and sleep with his wife because of his honor, uh, and so that David's sin would remain hidden. And I use that term lightly because how, how well could his sin have been hidden anyway because he sent for servants to go get her. So there, there were servants in the palace who knew. So if some of the servants in the palace knew, I would say all the servants in the palace knew. And if all the servants in the palace knew, the family of the servants in the palace knew. And if the family of the servants in the palace knew, the friends of the family, and you know, it's like there's a hole in the bottom of the sea. He just keeps going on. So it was well known, very, I'm sure very quickly, but David is concerned about trying to cover this up because he wants, he's trying to keep his sin secret. That's what we try to do. We try to keep our sin secret. Uh, he had Uriah placed in a situation where he would be in the front of the battle against the Amorites, and the Amorites, uh, then, then they would withdraw from him uh, so that he'd be killed, and he was. Now, David could cover his tracks. He could cover the, he could, he could, because he was king, he had absolute power, uh, and he could pretty much do what he wanted to, and, and nobody could stop him. He could cover his tracks, but he couldn't clear his conscience. Psalm 32, verse 3 says, when I kept silent, and, and it's talking about when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David... After the sin, before he's eventually, we're going to see he's going to come to a place of repentance for whatever long this season was. You know, so the baby is born, so it's 9, 10, 12 months, a year. You know, it's some period of time. Uh, for a long, it's a long time. David's miserable because he feels conviction and condemnation. He knows what he's done is wrong, is heinous, uh, his his knowledge of the word, his knowledge of God now is like a hammer beating him over the head. But yet he's, he's, not, he's not coming clean. He's not repenting. So the Lord intervened because God won't let you go. You understand that? That God won't let you go? Even if you mess up, God's not going to let you go. I don't want to you know, ruin your day, but you're going to mess up. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. But you're probably going to mess up. 
You might mess up today. You might have already messed up today. And thankfully, because of the grace of God, he won't let you go. And he didn't let David go, even though David, this crime is, is, is horrible. It's heinous. It's, it's despicable. It's, it's horrible. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So it's, it's painted a picture of a man who, is, who has, is treating this lamb like a pet, and it's, it's valuable. It's precious to him. It's, it's, uh, it's important. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him, which he had many of. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So when David heard this, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So now, fourfold repayment is the requirement of the law. If you, if you took something, the law required that you repay fourfold. So David said, this man needs a father. So now he's a legalist. <laughs> it's funny how we can be a legalist when it applies to other people. You know, the deceitfulness of sin enables us to see everyone else's sin clearly. It's, you know... It's easy to see other people's hypocrisy and where they're wasting money and where they're not following God the way they should follow God and where they should sacrifice and where they should love their neighbor and how they're. It's easy. To, it's easier to see that and to see the carnal nature of everyone else than it is to see it in your own heart. And David didn't see it in his own heart, but he could easily see, as Nathan laid this out. He said, "You know this this uh, you know this this man, the man who did this, he's got to die." And we're talking about a lamb. You know. This man has to die. So he doesn't have much compassion, doesn't have much forgiveness in his heart, does he? Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. (laughs) Like, uh uh-oh, gotcha. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. It never even talks about this, but he's saying apparently he also had charge of all of Saul's wives. So we know that at this point he has got seven or eight of his own wives. He's got several concubines, uh, you know. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. I give you all of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I'd give you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be, be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. So 
Nathan with real courage, because this takes courage. You understand this takes courage to call out the king. So David calls out the king in, in, uh, at, at, his, at risk of his own life. He says, you're the man. You're, you've, you've, you've done more than this man that stole the precious you lamb. You stole a man's wife, and then you killed him to cover it up. So when we're confronted with our sin, we always have choices of how we're going to deal with it. Whether we're going to run, whether we're going to listen, whether we're going to ignore it or admit it, whether we're going to hide it, continue to try to hide it, or we're going to repent of it. And I found often when I have endeavored, this is a very difficult thing pastorally, pastorally sometimes I have to challenge people uh, where they are because where they are is in sin. And uh, we all get in sin. We all make mistakes. And uh, a real common response is, I, I've heard this a lot of times, well, everybody, everybody sins. And how many of you know that's true? Everybody sins. But everybody sins is an excuse. So the, the reality is, as a Christian, we do sin, but we're not supposed to be okay with it. We're supposed to be at war with it. We're at war with sin. So we always, have, we always have a choice whether we want to make an excuse. A lot of times when I, have, when I have endeavored to, in love, tried to be in love, confront people for uh, sin that is causing them great damage and their family great damage, to lovingly confront them in sin, I've been accused. They've turned the accusation on me. And we do that, you know. We, we, even when Adam and Eve, when they were caught, by God in the garden, they started pointing the finger at each other. Well, it, well, it wasn't me. It was the wife you gave me. Well, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. We want to, you know, we, we want to deflect the blame. We always want to do that. We, we try to blame somebody else. Or we rationalize. Well, you don't understand. My situation's special. The re, you know, I had to because I didn't have any choice. My situation's unique. So then David does respond well. He responds and he says to David, I ha, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Now, God had already taken away the sin before he admitted it to Nathan. Isn't that interesting? That he took away the sin. It it was like, David said, I've sinned, and, and Nathan says, God's already forgiven you. Wait a minute. There's not a, there, there's not a, there's been no sacrifice. The law required, the law required a sacrifice for sin. The, the, pro, the only problem is there's no sacrifice for murder. There's no sacrifice for adultery because you know what the penalty for murder and adultery were? is death. There was no way David could make a sacrifice that was appropriate for the sin that he was done because the only appropriate sacrifice based on the law was for David to die. But God goes beyond the law and gives him grace. How many of you are glad that God goes beyond the law and gives you grace? 
God goes beyond the law and gives him grace, and he says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm taking your sin away from you. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the Son brought to you will die. So the, he said, there's, but there are going to be consequences. Forgiveness is wonderful. Forgiveness is great. I am so thankful for forgiveness. Forgiveness does not remove consequences. Often it removes some consequences. I mean, David didn't die. That was, should have been the consequence of his sin. He should have been stoned with stones, according to the Old Testament law. That consequence was removed, but there were consequences set in motion. Uh, there was still going to be a reaping for what he had sowed. He said in verse 10, the sword will never depart from your house. So it ends up being, so the baby dies as a result of this sinful union. That baby dies. And then Amnon, David's firstborn, rapes one of his other, his daughter, Tamar, which is Absalom's sister. So Absalom kills his brother Amnon. And then Absalom, because he doesn't like the way David handles the situation when Amnon rapes Tamar, because he doesn't handle it well, because he's still reeling from his own guilt, from his sexual failure, so he doesn't do what he should have done because he's got so much shame from his own failure that he doesn't deal with Amnon, so Absalom kills Amnon, then Absalom rebels against David, and in his rebellion, he leads a coup against David and tries to take over the country, and in so doing, he, Absalom is killed by Joab. And then at the end of David's life, Adonijah, one of David's other sons, tries to take over the throne from Solomon, who has been appointed by David to take his place. So Solomon kills his brother Adonijah four, four times. You, gotta, you want to be careful the judgments you pronounce on people. Because the Bible does say, with the same judgment that you judge, you will be judged. So David paid a high price. The sword never departed from his house. He says in verse 11, your own household will bring calamity on you. And, and it's true. From this day forward, David has, he has some good days, but he's got a lot of bad days because he's got a lot of trouble. And, and it's virtually his own doing. And he says, You've shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you may die. And verse 15, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. And this is horrible. This child suffers because of this and dies. Why? Well, because the wage of sin is death. Galatians 6, 17 says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he has sown. So David repents. And he's, he's really repentant, and he writes in his, he, there's at least three psalms associated with this, but in Psalm 51, uh, David, this says, the heading above it says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, now this is a different way of looking at it, okay? Think about it. Before, he's trying to hide it. 
He didn't want anybody to know. Everybody knows, but he doesn't want anybody to know. Now, he's brought it to the light. He's repented, and they're going to sing a song about it in church. (laughs) Think about it. So he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. It was part of the sacrificial cleansing process. And I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So David, beautiful, beautiful song of repentance, heartfelt repentance that he doesn't do in a corner to Nathan, but he sings before the people, I failed God. But he's rejoicing not in his failure, he's rejoicing in the goodness and forgiveness of God. So he's celebrating, he's celebrating how good God is to forgive him for this tremendous sin. So David repents and he's forgiven. But the consequences of his sins follow him all the days of his life. So here's the question. As Christians, washed in the blood of Jesus, do we ever need to repent of our sins like David did? Now, when I say a believer, a believer in Jesus Christ, what that means, if you believe, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it means that you believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and that the work on the cross was complete to remove your sins and make you the righteousness of God in Christ. It believe, you believe that because of what Jesus has done, your past sins are covered. All sins, your present sins are covered and the sins that you haven't even sinned yet are covered. By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a believer. I believe in what Jesus did deals with my sin. There's not anything I can, I can't add anything to it. I can't make my sins go away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what we believe as believers in Jesus Christ. Here's what John says in John 3 16. I know you've heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him 
is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So the key to having your sins removed is believe in what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so we continue in that. We continue to believe. We continue to believe that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Colossians 2 says this, talking about the law, and sin is in relationship to the law because you know the law, because, you know of sin because of the law. The law makes us aware of sin. We know the, the law says, thou shalt not. David knew that the law said, thou shalt not kill. He knew that the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He knew that the law said, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. He knew the law said, you shall have no other gods before me. So David knew these laws. He broke them all. Uh, So he understood that. But Colossians tells us this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How many? All of them. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. One of the, way, one of the things that they would do uh, in New Testament times, when someone had a debt, they would often throw them in prison for debt, for owing money. And when they, when they took them away into prison, they would put on the door of their household, they would put a list of all the things that they owed. It could be a hundred things. It could be two things. But the things that had caused them to be in prison. This debt that was against them. And if you wanted to get them out of prison, you had to pay their debt. If you wanted to get somebody set free, then you had to go through and go through. And they had, you had to start write, writing things off the list. All right, that's paid, that's paid, that's paid. When all the things were paid, they could... They could be set free. In Christ, sin has carried us off into prison. Satan has control over us and dominion over us. But, and he's written a list of all the things that we've done wrong. Everything that, where we don't measure up. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. But in Christ, Christ comes along and he, and he takes that list and he takes it off the door tears it off the door, and he goes and nails it to the cross. When he was nailed to the cross, the list of all the things that Satan can hold against you have been nailed to the cross also. And he's nailed it to the cross, and it says, and he, he, what did he do? He has taken it away so that we're declared free. So, The question is this, like David, do we need to repent of our sins? So the answer to that is no. Repenting of your sins will not make you any more righteous than the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in what that has done. When we sin, we're not losing our salvation. We're not falling in and out of grace. We don't have grace and we lose grace. And we have grace. We're saved, we're not saved. Now, I grew up in a tradition that taught that. They were good people, they loved God, and they tried really hard. As a matter of fact, legalism makes you try really hard. They tried really hard. They, 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 wanted, they, they, didn't want to, they didn't want to lose their salvation, and they tried really hard. 
but they often felt condemned because they felt like they didn't measure up. And most of us feel that we don't measure up. But we don't measure up in ourselves. We're not measuring ourselves by ourselves. We're measuring ourselves by Christ. And we certainly don't measure up by Christ, but he measures up for us. So our righteousness is in him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. So we don't have to repent to get God's favor. We already have it. So now you're troubled because I said you don't have to repent. So the second thing is, is yes, we do need to repent. (laughs) No, we don't need to repent to earn God's favor. No, we don't need to repent to get God to love us more. No, we don't need to repent to get back in God's good graces. You are in his good graces in Christ. But do we need to repent? Well, the scripture's pretty clear that yes, we do. Why do we need to repent? Well, it's not to get us in God's good graces, but one of the reasons that we, re- re- we repent, we repent to bring our sins to the light of grace because the power of sin is darkness. And one of the ways to break the power of sin in our life, just the way David, his attitude changed from I'm going to cover this to I'm going to rejoice in what God has done. See the difference? I'm going to cover this. I'm going to hide this. This is horrible. I can't believe I did this. I'm ashamed of this. I can't believe that I let this happen to me. To Now, I'm going to rejoice because God is a God of forgiveness. My sin was horrible, but my God's grace is greater. And so, it, he brings it to light. John 1, 7. John, 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. So one of the things, one of the things about is that we we as Christians we want to walk in the light. So yes, we want to bring our sins to the light. We say, God, we in other words, it's recognizing it. We're agreeing with God about it. Do you think if you lie or steal or look at pornography, you think God doesn't know? Of course he knows. So repentance is that, God, I agree that this is sin. It doesn't separate me from God, but it, but it, does, it still has consequences. Right? You reap what you sow. So yes, we repent to bring things to light because we're at war with sin. We're never okay with it. Never, never be okay with sin because God's not okay with it. You know what Jesus did to deal with sin? That's how serious God is about sin. Jesus died on the cross to deal with sin and to defeat Satan. So God wants you to be at war with sin because he wants to defeat sin in your life and he wants to defeat Satan. Number two, yes, we we want to repent because we want to break the power of condemnation. We want to break free of the lies of the enemy. A lot of times we're sinning because we still believe things that aren't true about ourselves. We believe, we believe things that aren't true about God, and we believe things that aren't true about ourselves. Romans 8.1, therefore, if there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, because the flesh can't keep the law, 
God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's a little caveat there at the end. Okay, so we don't want to live. Now we're free, we can do either one. Before we could only live by the flesh. Before we came to Christ, we could only live by the flesh. But now in Christ, we can live by the flesh or by the spirit. Make sense? So we want to choose. We want to choose. He says, so I want, to, I want to be free of the condemnation that comes by living from the flesh. So when I live by the flesh, I want to repent of that because I want to live by the Spirit. So yes, we want to break free of condemnation. We want to break free of the lies of the enemy. Yes, we want to walk in a way that pleases God. And not only pleases God, but here's, the, here's one of the most important things about your Christian walk is that not only that it pleases God, but it is a witness. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. When, when Christians call themselves Christians, and then they do not live authentic Christian lives, it discredits the name of Christ. Isn't, isn't that true? So we don't want to dishonor Christ or diminish our testimony. So we want to walk in a way that pleases God. And when we don't, we want to repent of it. In other words, we want to say, God, this is not pleasing to you, and it's not a good testimony. So, Lord, I, I, I repent of this. I want to turn away from this. The word repent means to change direction. I want to turn away from this. And... We want to stop sowing to the flesh so that we don't get the harvest. We want to stop the harvest of the flesh as soon as possible. Sooner the better. I mean, if, if somebody had your credit card and, uh, and they were going crazy, you'd want them to stop as soon as, as soon as possible. Why? Because the longer they have it, the more they're going to put charges on it. In other words, the repercussions are ongoing. The same thing is true with sin. The wage of sin is death. We want to deal with sin as quickly as possible. We want to deal with it because we want to stop the harvest. God forgives sin, but it doesn't remove the consequences. Let's say that like David, like David, you get a, a woman pregnant. And then you ask God to forgive you. Does she all of a sudden get unpregnant? Did, does God forgive you for your sin? Some of you are not sure there. Uh, Yes, God will forgive you. There's no sin God won't forgive. There's no sin greater than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been applied. It's not about what you did. It's about what he did. Will God forgive you? Are there consequences? If you go out and spend $10,000 a day and then tomorrow say, oh God, I'm sorry I didn't have that money. Do you still owe $10,000? Yes. You reap what you've sown. So one of the things about repentance is that we want to stop sin because we want to stop the effects of sin in our life as soon as possible. We want to stop the death, the, you know, from the flesh you reap death, from the, the spirit you reap life. So we want, to, we want to stop what has happened. We want to stop that destruction. 
Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows the, to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows the, to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And, you know, then you get, when you start talking about it, you get the whole, the whole laws of the harvest come into effect. About what, the harvest. So, so what happens? You always reap more than you sow. Right? I mean, you, we'd all be dead because there wouldn't be any food. If, that didn't, if the law of the harvest didn't take place, if you didn't reap more than you sowed, then, then sowing would not be effective. But you get a 100, 200, 300-fold increase. You put seed into the ground, you get, you get way more than seed back. So you always reap more than you sow. You also reap in a different season than when you sow. But you also reap the same in kind as you sow. You don't reap, you don't, you don't put corn in the ground and get wildflowers. So, so we, we understand we, we want to we deal with the whole laws of the harvest. And then the great thing about this is that we're, we're going to make it not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. It's not how effectively you repent or don't repent. It's all about Jesus. Because there's sins that you're not even aware of. You think, what, what if I don't, you know, what, what if I don't, you know, every sin that I sin, what if I don't ask for forgiveness for that? What if, what if something slips under the radar? What if there's something that I didn't even consider a sin was actually a sin that I didn't realize it was a sin, but I had an opportunity to maybe share Christ with someone, show the love of Christ, pray for someone. The Holy Spirit was telling me, hey, pray for them. And you're like, oh, who's this talking to me? You know, never got, God ever tell you to do something. And when he tells you to do something, you immediately question it. Like it's like, who, like, where's this coming from? Like some, like, like your, your own flesh is going to say, you ought to pray for them. Because your own flesh is saying, what's the way out of this? You know. <laughs> but, you know, so, so if there's a sin uncovered, are you in trouble? Is there a sin that you forgot to ask for forgiveness for? If, you, if, uh, uh, <laughs> if your last words going out are inappropriate, you know. You know, it's, it's just like if you listen to recordings, like when somebody wrecks a car or crashes a plane, the last words are nearly, oh, foot. <laughs> or something like that. So if the, la- if the last thing that comes out of your lips is blasphemy, does that mean then, well, I'm sorry, you didn't make it, you're going to hell. You messed up at the end. No. But why? Because our, our grace is not dependent upon us. It's, just, it's dependent upon what Jesus did. We're resting. But we, that's why we can rest. We're, we're not in anxiety. Like, oh, what did I do? Did I mess up today? How did I mess up? Oh, oh, I didn't remember everything. Oh, I'm going to have to make a list of everything that I did today, and I've got to bring that all to God. If I forget one thing, oh, I'm going to go to hell. It's going to be horrendous. It's going to be horrible. I don't want to do that. See, but it's not about that. It's about what Christ has done for us. So Jude says this in verses 24 and 25. Now, to him... Who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So, see, what, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven and we stand before the throne of God, we're not going to say, I did it. Look at me. I made it. What the Bible says is that we're going to fall on the ground before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, he did it. He did it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So do you need to repent? The answer to that is yes and no. You don't need to repent to earn God's favor. But we do want to repent of anything that's getting in the way. and Keeping us from having an effective testimony. And bringing other people to Christ. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we just rejoice that you did it. We don't take the credit because we all stumble in many ways. We've all failed so many times. It's amazing that you still love us. But you don't love us based on our failure rate. You love us based on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. You love us because by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. And we rejoice in that gift, that glorious gift of salvation. In Jesus' name.